We live in an age of increasing division. What happens when missionaries on the field differ with one another? We'll explore that and more today on the show. But first, a special message. If you're a regular listener to this show, we wanted to say thank you. Without the Lord's help and without you, we wouldn't still be doing this. But we also want you to know that this show wouldn't exist if it weren't for ABWE International and ABWE missionaries like Justin, who's a missionary in a Muslim country in Asia. So let me tell you about him. One day, he was wandering a crowded street doing street evangelism. He'd been doing it every morning for nine months with no results. He was discouraged. He sat down at an outdoor coffee shop. Local men crowded the table, fraternizing before the start of the workday. Justin tried to start a spiritual conversation with the Muslim man seated next to him, and the man, disinterested, walked off. But before Justin could even process the rejection, he heard a voice speaking to him in broken English. The voice said, you said sins forgiven, how? It was another Muslim man who had been sitting next to him who was listening silently the whole time. Justin, knowing the dangers of doing evangelism openly in this country, started to whisper to him about Jesus. They crept closer and closer until they were inches apart. They were looking around for danger the whole time. Justin whispered the gospel into this man's ear. And the man grabbed him by the shoulders, pushed him back and said, many of us want to know this message, but we're not allowed to ask. That's what life is like in a country where evangelism is illegal, and more than 130 ABWE workers like Justin are serving in places like this. Every gift to ABWE's Global Gospel Fund goes to critical staffing, support, training, and services to advance the gospel to the lost and unreached through faithful workers like Justin. So learn more and become a partner with ABWE at abwe.org partner. That's abwe.org partner. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE International, joined by my friend, as always, Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California, and also West Coast Advancement Coordinator for ABWE, man of many titles. Scott, we used to be located in the same place here in Harrisburg, PA. Now you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East. But back in the day, the good old days, uh, we had a little thing here at ABWE called Candidate Seminar. I believe now it's called Missionary Orientation. It's the week-long onboarding for new cross-cultural workers. And we had a session that we would do. It always come kind of midway through the week, typically before the missionary candidates had under undergone their final interview, that final, you know, kind of trial by fire in front of the board or in front of whichever committee is approving missionaries. And we would call that session when missionaries differ, which is a pretty innocuous title, I think, for something that can get pretty heated. And it was fun. Mm -hmm. It was fun because when we would do it, we were doing it before the hiring and interview day on purpose. Yeah. Because yeah. we're trying to see, you know, kind of see what people are made of a little bit and, and kind of turn them loose in conversation with each other, roundtable conversations, see how missionaries and missionary candidates just deal with questions like, all right, how do, how do you feel about this issue? Bible translation, um, you know, a, a abortion, baptism, baptism by immersion. I mean, just pick the issue, um, whether it's black and white or whether it's super gray and everything in between. And we would wrestle with that. But I, I think as as we're asking this question of, what to do when missionaries do disagree on the field. 
it's a tough question for missionaries because mm-hmm. in the U.S. here, hey, you just go to the church down the street, right? Oh, yeah. When you're on the field, that's not so much an option. And I know that this is something that you probably would have had to deal with as well as a missionary. Well, I mean, you, we, we know it intuitively in our churches, like, and you just pointed it out. I mean, we've had people leave. I can remember being a, being a pastor and finding out, actually, I was an assistant pastor and one of our couples was leaving to join the seventh day Adventists, you know, you're like, okay, that's a big deal. Um, but then other times you find people leaving because, you know, they didn't like this Bible version choice or they didn't like, uh, you know, um, they had a little bit different eschatological view. I mean, it could even be in the same general stream, but just a slight nuance difference. And we're like, we're out of here or, or you don't sing my favorite song enough and I'm out. And, uh, but in the field, it's a lot, it's a lot different, you know, and depending on where you're ministering, a lot of times, you know, you could be in a city of several million people and be just one of a handful of believers. And then, so, so that's like on the broader level, but then even on your team, you could have people from the same organization, same doctrinal statement, and yet find yourself disagreeing over all sorts of things. Um, and, and I'll give you a couple examples uh, just of just some of the things that, that we saw, you know, so, you know, working, one of, one of the issues, for instance, working in China was, will, should we work with the national, uh, officially sponsored church or not um back in the 60s and uh, 70s and all the way up until you know the early 2000s um there was a huge uh, uh disagreement or even like uh, separation between the house church movement which had developed out of you know kind of the missionary efforts and then the the, the indigenous growth of the church in the years where missionaries were kicked out of china and um, because they had, they had dealt with a lot of persecution and the national church had been infiltrated and was 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 you know pretty rank and liberal but also very much tied to the government and uh and so you know persecution was coming from there and so there was no cooperation and if any christian missionary were to come and work with uh the 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 government sponsored church i mean they were they were immediately labeled well over time that had changed and there was more and more gospel preaching uh pastors within the within the chinese churches there was disagreements among among workers of like can we work with uh, the national church or not? And we, I think we see that all around the world where there's an established church and there's, there's other breakoffs and there's debate about that. We, we would see that in other fields as well. Um, what even made it a little more interesting is that some of the more evangelical of the pastors, some of the ones who were uh, the ones who were like, if you ever heard them preach, were the ones who were clearest in gospel proclamation were often women. And then within the house church movement, a lot of the leaders were women. And so that created a lot of dilemmas. Like, do you, you know, do you, if, if you believe in a, you know, in male pastoral uh, role, which is pretty standard for most Protestant churches and denominations and for sure, for sure, Catholic and Orthodox as well. So most Christians uh, do, do at least hold to male pastors and elders. Um, and yet, here is a denomination here here's a whole part of the world that many many of the leaders are are women and um there's there's some reasons for that we can get into a little bit later um or or issues even of we we've talked about it a lot like let's say you're the only two missionaries on your field and and one of them is using something you know like a, a disciple making tool disciple making methods and you just got done listening to you know uh 
some big debate and you're anti DMM and you, you're going to hold to like a very traditional church planting proclamational model. Um, and can you work together? You know, so these are some of the things that just come up in the mission field. We are like, what about my team? Uh, and then what about the other missionaries around me? Like what level of cooperation can we have? And so this becomes, I think, a problem that almost every missionary probably listening goes, yeah, we have those issues either theologically on our team or in the broader missionary community around us. So we just separate completely and just say, hey, you know, and that's what actually what happened. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but that, that actually happened in places in Africa where there was, um, if you talk to Ron Washer or some of our older uh, missionaries are like, no, we yeah. just basically said this country, this agency gets, and this country, it was, it was kind of like, you know, they did in colonialism, except mission agencies just said, we're not going to work over there. You're going to work over here. We're just going to create these missionary <laughs> cul-de-sacs yeah. and uh, we just won't cross borders. That's the way we're going to do it. Cause otherwise our people are getting too confused. Dividing up the promised land. Right. Is it kind of a, <laughs> or, or, or should we be the old time separatists where we just basically say, I mean, I remember hearing this growing up, like there's no Bible preaching churches in that town. And then you move into town you're like, well, there's a, a Baptist church and there is a conservative Presbyterian church and here's an assembly of God church. And here's a, here's a Wesleyan church and a Nazarene church. And pretty soon you realize there's like, there wasn't, there was no gospel preaching churches in town. There was no gospel preaching church exactly like me in town. And, uh, and yet that's how we frame the discussion. So should we be more separatistic or should we find ways to cooperate and work together? That's what we're talking about today. I, I like the way you set that up. You know, there's that old statement in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Mm-hmm. And it's been misattributed to Augustine and others throughout history. And you could maybe push on that statement. And, and is it is it perfectly clear and, and clean cut? Uh, no, but it, it's a good it, it's a good model potentially to work with just to set up the conversation of there are clearly levels. And if you get all of your theology from Twitter, you'd never know this, but there are levels of things that are essential. There's levels of things that are less essential. And we have to do some prioritizing of those things. It's going to affect who we work with, who we minister with, who we partake of the Lord's Supper with, who we really entrust ourselves to at a deeper level. Uh, and we've got to choose. We've got to do what uh, some would call triage, theologically speaking. What what did you use as your basic categories? We've got categories that we've used in our trainings here at the agency. Um, maybe you have mental categories of, you know, uh, I like to use primary, secondary, tertiary. Sure. That's just what I use in my head. And l- let me just tell you how I break that down. And you tell me how you break yours down. So in my head, the that primary level is uh, those are salvation issues. Essentially, those are those are issues which to differ in those areas um, puts you outside the faith. Um, you know, you you disagree that that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, mm. right? He's he's not divine. Uh, you know, if you're a heretic in the classical sense of that term, those are primary issues. If you if you don't believe in the virgin birth, right? That I, I put those you know gospel level salvation determining issues. In the first level. And I would also say in that first level, there's a difference between people who are misinformed and then people who are intentionally heretical, too. So I'm perfectly aware that if we were to pull your church and probably my church, you know, we would probably find an alarming percentage of the congregation that couldn't meaningfully articulate the Trinity. And I bet we could talk somebody into expressing something like 
Sibelianism um, pretty easily if we wanted to, which is which is that heresy that would say that there's one person of God and he just happens to manifest himself at three different in three different ways mm-hmm. throughout uh, redemptive history. Um, we're not all as well informed in theology as we ought to be, but there's a difference between not not having the right words and not knowing how to articulate the concept, and then somebody that knows the issues and intentionally uh, rejects biblical orthodox teaching. Right, so gospel level salvation determining type issues that's the primary um the the third level the the tertiary level i would jump to that and say you know that's where there's freedom there's there's christian liberty there there's certainly things there that are that are adiaphora right things um, not addressed in between those i would put secondary issues which are important i would say those are fellowship issues those are local church fellowship issues those are membership issues they're not necessary. They're, they're not salvation issues, um, and they're not they're not Christian uh, unity issues in terms of gospel proclamation. So uh, I would just throw baptism in there as a secondary issue, uh, in the sense that y- you can absolutely be a believer in Christ and have a different stance on whether or not infants should be baptized if they belong to believing parents. But that uh, just because it doesn't affect your salvation, it certainly affects. Uh, fellowship at a local church level, because if we're going to plant a church together, let's just say, Scott, let's pretend we disagreed on that issue. If you and I are going to go to a mission field and evangelize a people and try to plant a church together, we're going to have to decide mm-hmm. at some point, are we sprinkling the babies or not? Right. Right. And and we if, if we want to have some long term thinking, we need to be on the same page about that. So I tend to think of those secondary tier issues as more local church polity types of things. And that's where that line tends to get drawn. Those are the categories that I use. What do you use? That's good. And there's been a lot of discussion about this, you know, theological triage. Sometimes it's used. There was, there was an old pastor that, you know, Alex and you, you, we were talking about this earlier. Um, a guy named Edward Lee, uh, who wrote a system of, or body of divinity. And he talks about like, he had three issues, three categories too: contra, which the things that go against the foundation of the gospel circa, which is things that are around and could potentially pervert the foundation of the gospel. And then, and then citra, which is outside the foundation mean means things that could divert the foundation, but are, are, are obviously like you said, tertiary. So growing up in, in a, in a very separatistic environment, like I did, um, I think a lot of people would say the same thing. One, they would say like anything that God says is foundational. Like you, who are you to divide between what, you know, God says is essential and non-essential, which, you know, obviously I think we could ease pretty easily push back and say, well, you know, Christians have always disagreed. Who are you to say that you're right and they're wrong? Like, you know, that we, we have to at least use some kind of standard of Christian history and the way the way Christianity has been articulated throughout history to kind of help us establish what that is. So for me, um, you know, I, I, I think we have to look at, of course, the, some of the creeds and I, I realize Baptists generally aren't very creedal. Um, but, uh, but the apostles creed is a good place to start. Um, I mean, that's an obvious sure thing, but, but then when you, when you say the apostles creed, well, you know, Catholics and Orthodox and, you know, there's actually a number of Christians that we, we don't, uh, plant churches with that still hold the apostles creed, you know, uh, and maybe you would add into that, then, you know, the Nicene creed or, or some other of the ancient creeds to that and say, okay, this defines 
basically what it means to be a Christian. If you don't hold to these things, you can't rightly call yourself a Christian. Um, and then I do think that secondary issue does come down to like, how do we do church together? But on the mission field, sometimes it isn't just how we're doing church together, but also how we're doing ministry together. So can I pray with this person? Can I call them a brother? Do I need to separate mm. myself from them and, and call them a false teacher? Well, no. Okay. But, but, but can I, can I get involved in an all community prayer focus with them? And can we do service projects together? Can we, can we, um, be, be part of a strategy team together? Am I okay with saying these campuses over here, they're going to work on evangelizing and we're not going to compete with them. And we're going to focus over here on this part of town and be part of a strategy session with them. Well, there are some groups that I can do that with and other groups that I can't do that with. And it comes, I would put those in that kind of secondary issue of like, can we, can we, do we see a level of faithfulness and truthfulness to, in, in, in those areas? And, and can we partner together in ministry? Um, and then, you know, the last things are, can I be in church with them? You know, uh, can we be mm -hmm. in that level of intimacy and fellowship? So, I mean, I'm just going to put you on the spot, Alex. Um, could you, could you be in the same church with, if you, it's a, assuming you're a Calvinist, which I think you would say you are, uh, you, you, you can you, can so. you be in the same, uh, can, can, could you be in the same church with an Arminian? I am. Okay. Uh, so, so I would put that in the third issue, right? Uh, I would put that as like a, a the, the third, third tier, maybe even a fourth tier. Um, well, could it, you, uh, could you do an evangelistic campaign with a Jehovah's witness? Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I would say that's first tier. Right. They you don't know? possess the gospel. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that that's kind of like how I would break some of those things. Up. Could you be in church with uh, as a as a as a Baptist, a, pedo, uh, a, a credo Baptist? Could you be in a local church with a pedo Baptist? Well, depends depends what the eldership of that church is. So there, you're talking about horizontal fellowship too, um, but are we talking about just brothers, you know, in the faith, you know, members, or are we talking about what the, what the confession of that church is teaching? Well, yeah, I'm, I was just, yeah. I was just kind of yeah. playing devil's advocate and trying to like tease out some of these issues. Cause I think that they are yeah. issues. You know, I don't think I'm not going to, you don't have to put me put in the spot and answer that. I mean, for me, like we've thought about that. Could I, and I, I think I'm comfortable with, with that. Uh, um, I think baptism is a very serious thing. And I do think, uh, like for instance, the Presbyterian or the reformed view of baptism, which treats it a little bit more like, a, like, um, uh, uh, a blessing or dedication. It's a, it's a wet um, baby a dedication. Kind of put, right. Yeah. It, <laughs> we well, would say as Baptists. I'm sure all our, any, any Presbyterian listeners we have would, would be up in arms about that, but it's different than what the Lutherans view. Well, they would baptism, say we're doing dry you know. baptisms when we do child dedication. So <laughs> yeah, well I, I, but I've had Lutheran pastors that I'm friends with that just go like, I don't know how you sleep at night. I don't know. I don't get it. You've got children in your church who have not been baptized. If they die, they go to hell hmm. and because they view there's something very salvific in yeah that baptism of a baby that's when they that's when they're saved and and yet they have to confirm that and continue in it so they so so i think i could be probably in a even in a baptist church with a presbyterian who's willing to come along you know come underneath our, our views than i could with a lutheran who sees salvation Absolutely. as beginning at, at that point but but could i do 
uh, city evangelism together. I think I could with an evangelical Lutheran um, in a different way than I could do with a devout professing whole council of Trent Roman Catholic. Right, right. Um, this is where I'd, I'd like to ask you a question. So yeah. what are, and we can tease out all of the, the issues. I, I think there's an endless list of issues where there's potential for controversy. Let me do this. Let me set up the question and then we'll go to a break. Okay. Okay. So what I want to ask you is what are some of the pros of working with people in those partnerships across differences on some of those very important secondary doctrines? And then what are the cons? So let's play that out. Pros of working together in outreach or in a church plant. And then, but what are the pitfalls of that? What are the long-term costs of that? We'll get into that in just a moment. Hey, listeners, want to meet us? Well, we'd love to meet you. And if you're hungering for a deep, no-fluff missions conference, keep listening. The Radius Missiology Conference is happening June 23rd and 24th at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. The theme this year, Acts, the Gospel Proclaimed Through the Church. Hear from John Piper, Mark Dever, Brooks Buser, Chad Vegas, and more. Now, Scott and myself will be there in person, live, recording, interviewing speakers, and enjoying the fellowship. If you're like us, it's probably been a while since you've been to a conference, so get out of the house and come and enter our drawing to attend for free. That's right, free. Simply go to missionspodcast.com slash RMC for details, and we'll see you there this June at the Radius Missiology Conference. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. We're back today talking about whatever you want to call it. Let's call it theological triage. Let's talk about when missionaries differ. And before we went to the break, Scott, I had asked you, what are some of the pros of working together across significant denominational doctrinal barriers in outreach, on the field, uh, in church planting contexts? And then what are some of the cons of doing it that way, in your opinion? We can talk about Mm -hmm. that, dive deeper. How do you tackle those two things? Okay. I'm just speaking for myself. This is not speaking for ABWE or Alex or anyone else. (laughs) I want to make that really clear. Although I think we usually just speak for ourselves. Brace yourself, everyone. Uh, For me, there's been a few things. Um, One, you know, sometimes it challenges my assumptions that are based out of my culture, not really scripture. You know, uh, 
there's a whole lot of things that we are raising a tradition. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think we should abandon the tradition of our fathers very easily or quickly. But we do recognize that sometimes we've just kind of fallen into ways of thinking about certain things that are just, um, I'll give you an example. I, I, I just thought growing up that anyone who listened to contemporary music, you know, just loves the world very fleshly, you know, and then being around Christians that do it differently than that opened me up to like, okay, well maybe that is an extreme example, but maybe that is something that was more about the conditioning of, you know, my, my upbringing than really is a biblical issue. And so being around other Christians from other traditions helps you think through things well. Sometimes I've become more confirmed in my view. Like I'm more, I'm a more committed Baptist from being around really good challenging Presbyterians, yeah. which isn't a shame to them. It just caused me to look at the word more and dive into it deeper. So, you know, I think it, it challenges our assumptions and sometimes reconfirms, you know, the biblical view of our, that we, that we came from, but also sometimes there's things that I'm like, I don't know why I drew a hard line there when scripture is less clear on that than, than I thought it was. And, uh, that I presumed it to be, um, Plus, there's some things in some faith traditions that even though I don't agree with that faith tradition, like I'm deeply convicted about. So I've got some some charismatic friends that working together in evangelism, I want to get out there and start doing it. And they're like, let's stop and pray more, you know, and I'm like, theologically, I know they're right. But practically, I've not done that well. And they'll spend, you know, days even in prayer. Uh, And I'm deeply convicted by that because I realize okay, I, I was not, I'm, I'm out of step in this part. They might be out of step in another part, but I'm out of step in this part. And then third, I, I think that there's, there's a testimony to the world when Christians find ways to work together in unity. Christ prayed for this. Uh, it's a, a huge theme in scripture. So I think that leaning into unity and trying to find ways to, to live out as brothers and sisters of Christ, the same Lord and Savior, especially once we establish, okay, we're, we're on, we're, we're all in Christ here. Let's figure out ways to show that unity in a way that magnifies Christ. So I think those are some of the pros, uh, you know, what, what would you add to that, Alex? Or even push back on my pro, like that's not a pro, that's a con. No, those are, you idiot. those are certainly pros, right? Uh, I mean, I, I think that we can probably safely say that in the new creation, in the consummation uh, there won't be denominations, right? Like I, I think we can. What? All, I know. Don't tell the uh, Baptists. I, I know. <laughs> you've, heard, you've heard that joke, and right? we're allowed to say that because we are Baptists. Um, yes. But I think we can all admit that that's a byproduct of the uh, the in between between the now and the not yet in this age. Um, I do agree. There, there's obviously those those benefits to having brothers and sisters in the Lord, and and I do think this is where those of us who are maybe closer to my generation, millennials and people who are digital natives, people who do a lot of their theological thinking online and, and Mm -hmm. publicly in front of people. I think that's where we have to realize too, that we can very easily get into this echo chamber because on the internet, I can surround myself only with, you know, strict, hardcore, whatever viewpoint that I'm going to take. And that's why the local church matters so much. That's why I answer your one question earlier about, would you be in a church with an Arminian? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a part of a Calvinistic denomination. Um, and yet I'm under no illusions that everybody who's even attending our church knows what that means uh, as much as we try to teach our articles of faith. And so, of, of course, I know that I'm rubbing shoulders every Sunday uh, with people who are still wrapping their minds around the sovereignty of God and its implications 
in terms of the doctrines of grace. And, and that's just one small example. That's why the local mm-hmm. church matters. You, you have to be around people that don't look and smell exactly like you and think the exact same way that you do. And that's not to say that every church should just embrace the Apostles' Creed only as its statement of faith, because I would say, right. and this is where maybe some of the, the pushback would come, I, I would say that building on the creeds, absolutely. I would say confessionalism is, is a net positive um, for the church uh, because it, it does give kind of guardrails. So maybe some of the cons mm-hmm. might be, um, yeah, we can, you know, let, let's say I'm in Asia ministering with you and, and we're surrounded by Presbyterians and, and uh, charismatics. And maybe there's other people too that are a little bit, you know, Episcopalians, people that would paint a little bit further outside of some of those lines. You know, we as Baptists, you know, like, okay, well, we're Baptists, mm-hmm. we're Reformed leaning. We feel very comfortable with Presbyterians that are open-minded, right? But then, you know, draw mm-hmm. those concentric circles out farther and farther. Um, you know, what do you do with a Seventh-day Adventist? I mean, draw those circles, you know, kind of all the way out there. And I, I think that, yes, you know, prayer together, evangelism in the community, if you have the gospel, like those things can certainly happen. And I think it would be wrong to just decide across the board, no, we're not going to partner in any of those ways. But I do think that there's the risk of punting disagreements just down the road in a way that would be unhelpful for new believers and for for newer converts. So I'm curious your thoughts of this, especially because you were working in a restricted access environment where you weren't really having all those denominational conversations up front. It was just about, hey, let's proclaim the gospel because these people are completely unreached. Um, but what happens as those people get folded into the church and, you know, find out later that there is disagreement over things that are hugely significant, like, well, just take um, infant baptism and, and whether or not I count my children as automatically being in the new covenant by virtue of they're my kids uh, versus if I'm going to treat baptism purely as a, a thing that I volunteered to do as a confessing adult believer in Christ, uh, that I, would a national uh, who who comes from an unreached people group who is very new to the faith be um, confused or caught off guard or um, vexed uh, by seeing that they have, let's just say, multiple elders in their local church that's forming that don't even see eye to eye on some of those things? Is there certainly an advantage in those elders seeing eye to eye and the missionary teams seeing eye to eye and saying, yeah, the Christian church has disagreements about these things, but here's what we're about. Is there wisdom? I think there is wisdom in that. I, I think so, too. Um, uh, so, you know, some of the cons are, and I, you know, in our situation, I feel like I'm stammering a lot today, but that's okay. Cause this is a complicated issue and we're thinking as we're going and there's some conflict even we feel about this, but I, you know, in our, in our local group of, of missionary folks or, and Christians that just, you know, national, uh, international Christians that lived in our community, you know, we, we were doing church together and um, I was the only ordained one in the group. And then, you know, we had we had an Anglican leaning uh, family and a Presbyterian family and some charismatics. And then, you know, good old Baptist boy, me. And they're like, hey, could you baptize our baby? You know, you're the only ordained guy. You are and a I'm Baptist. Like, and I'm so like, you are Baptist. And I'm baby, like, right? I'm like, you know, and I was smart. I was a smart aleck even more then than I am now, you know, and I think I gave some kind of smart remark of like, well, I could give your baby a bath, but I cannot baptize them. And, um, <laughs> and they, they took it in good humor. I mean, they knew where I was at on those things, but they, they created like a little bit of not tension, but just like, what do we do? 
Um, and I, but I think you're, you're bringing up a great point, especially in places where, you know, you have new believers, they're already being attacked by the outsiders, like seeing these Christians, there's so many different versions of Christian. What, what's, you know, how could you even know what you're following? And then to be able to, I think we need to tell them, sure, you know, there are some disagreements within Christianity, but here's the way our church practices it. But to have elders at that level fighting about it or even dis- disagreeing, it could be a could be a real confusing thing for a new believer. I think another important thing that we should emphasize here is that uh, I think that the the lines are a lot sharper for doing outreach together in partnership versus being members of the same team. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a prayer meeting happening publicly, uh, in your, in your town, there's an outreach in front of an abortion mill, right. And, and it's praying, Mm -hmm. it's, it's proclaiming the gospel and it's, it's basically Jesus is Lord come to Jesus. He'll save you. That's as much time as you have time to get out. Right. Those things are happening. And I think that's absolutely where, Hey, if, if you believe in the same Jesus, then let's, let's, you know, be arm in arm here. Um, mm-hmm. as, as much as possible. Um, that's not the same that to me, that's partnership. Partnership to me would be different than being teammates. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, I, there's a level of intimacy there where I think the enemy can really introduce some, some conflict and things can get torn apart. And you, you even see that happening in the book of acts, Paul and Barnabas, uh, have conflict and, at one point, you know, Apollos is pulled aside and they have to correct him and teach him, you know, some some better ways. I think that your teammates, those that you're living life alongside of, you might be able to preach the same gospel with them, but you're also doing life with them behind closed quarters. And that's uh-huh. where I think there should be tremendous unity. Even if you're with an organization or sent out by a church that allows for a lot broader of a range, I think there's some wisdom on let's have as much continuity on that team as possible. What do you think? I, I tend to agree with that. And I realize there's teams that don't have that and they seem to find ways to other agencies do it differently than we do. But if because, you know, like for instance, with ABWE, because we're so focused on church planting, not, not that everyone is going to be the lead church planter, but because everyone's part of this mission to plant churches, like at least having some big things agreed upon makes it a lot easier than trying to say like, okay, so when, when is the, uh, the prophecy and tongue speaking time going to fit in? And we're like, well, we're not doing that, you know? And like, uh, you know, or, I mean, that, that could be a a massive issue of, of, you know, like of how even we're going to determine God's will here. Are we waiting for a a prophetic word or are we going into uh, the scripture and doing that? Like getting some of those things on the same page could be, if you're not on the same page, it could be very detrimental. Um, And, but I also think when, so I don't know if I answered your question completely, but I do agree that we need to, especially on the micro team level, we need to be striving to have a high level of, of agreement, especially when we're doing church planting and, work. And talk about those things before you go out together. Don't, yeah, don't wait so for it to those. erupt while you're on the field. You know, as that team is forming, you know, maybe stateside while you're raising support, like have the hard conversation. You know, some of the things that we talk about in our training session for new missionaries are things like, uh, what about what about an abortion when the life of the mother is medically at stake um, if there is such a situation um, what about the what about eschatology what about um, gambling what about uh, drinking what, and, and by the way I'm not putting all of these same issues in the same category 
each of those issues is in a different category, actually, uh, in my opinion. Um, but but how just hearing how each member of that team approaches it, have that conversation together. Don't wait for it to erupt. Well, and, and also understanding that you may put like, for instance, I saw one article is saying like the length of the days in creation. Is it literal 24 hour days or, you know, is it a micro? Day? I don't think there's anyone else to do a micro day, but it, theoretically, you know, or do they hold to like, you know, a older it was seven minutes? It's the day minute theory. Yeah, and we and someone go like, oh, that's totally a third issue. But if you think it's a first tier issue. You're going to you're going to cause disruption on that team if no one else thinks it's a first tier issue. And so, um, you know, getting getting down to the nitty gritty with your teammates about those things. Um, but I would say to you personally and not to you, Alex, but just to our listeners, you know, re- recognizing that as we're learning new things, sometimes we can get to this what some people call a cage stage where we're learning something new and you got to lock them up for a little while until <laughs> they they kind of mellow out. And because they're so excited about this new doctrine that they just everything is this is the, yeah. this important. And um, and so, you know, if, if you're young or even if you're not young, but you're learning new things. Take a deep breath and and take a look around what God's doing and, and recognizing there is a difference between um, uh, someone who disagrees with you because they don't care about God's word. And there are people like that. Like, I'm going to hold to this view because this is what I think is right. And I can't imagine a God that would think something different than that. And you're like, well, the Bible says, I don't care what the Bible says. Okay, you can put them in a certain category, but there are Christians that will differ with you, but they're differing with you over exegesis like well we view the scripture a little differently because of our hermeneutical you know viewpoints or because we've we we read scripture differently and we still are going to disagree one of us we can't both be right in eternity but i think there's a difference between someone i'll give you an example you know at abwe and and most baptists you know we have a, a doctrinal statement that says you know only men can be pastors um well, and, and, and there you know, a whole bunch of scriptures that would back that up. Well, in China, for instance, the, the Chinese translation translated prophecy as preaching. And so a lot of Chinese Christians had read their Bible and they see no difference between, you know, uh, they, they see a contradiction of source and they try to work that out of saying, because there's so many times that they see women preaching because women prophesying, prophesying in scripture is always being translated as preaching. And so uh, there's a difference there. Well, there's a difference between someone who just says, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm going to do what I want. And someone who says, this is what the Bible says. This is how I read it. This is what I was taught by it. And yeah. I'm making a biblical decision. I think that's a difference of opinion or, or uh, it's a, it's a difference of, of, uh, of heart attitude. And I, I want to yeah. work with Christians that are trying to go deeper in the word and trying to understand what the word of God says and live that out. I can work with almost any Christian that's loving Christ and trying to understand the word and live accordingly. And, and I can't work with Christians even have the same doctrinal statement as me, but have a cold heart to what God's word is saying and are basically just committed to their tradition. Everything's a knife said balance, right? And there's always ditches on both sides. And the two dangers here are one being so narrow that you can't work with anyone else. And of course, the other flip side is having such an open mind that your your brain falls out in the process. And, and I mm. think for missions, if you're the type of person who can't even abide the thought that you might be sitting, uh, you know, a few pews over um, on a Sunday morning from somebody that doesn't hold to every single 
you know, jot and tittle of the Westminster standards in exactly the same way that you do. You know, if, if that's you, um, good, good luck as a missionary, because uh, doing healthy biblical types of contextualization, uh, learning to, in a uh, faithful way, be all things to all people, accommodating yourself to communicate the gospel is is going to require a death to self. Um, not that not that you even have to change any of those stances and those opinions that that you may hold and and hold to biblically and hold to with zeal, but there's there's still a spirit of humility that that must come with that. That has to be taught here before you mm. even get into a cross cultural situation. If that's you, I would say figure that out before you become a missionary. Um, but on the flip side, uh, again, the the ditch on the other side is that if you're so open minded. Um, and, and if you're, you're so open-handed and, and ecumenical in the negative sense about, um, Hey, everybody is doing the same exact thing here. And you're not aware of some of the undercurrents happening from one Christian group to the next. I mean, I heard a story of an agency a year or two ago that had to dismiss a missionary for converting to Islam. I mean, you, you never know that, that when you're put really into the ringer, you know, can you defend what you believe that and why you believe it? That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. No, sadly. No. Can you can you yeah. defend what you believe and why you believe it? I, you know, I, I think of this conversation I had just recently with a young woman in our church, um, and uh, she she made a sweet statement. She goes, "I love Jesus. I just don't know much about the gospel." <laughs> and uh, I think we want to be careful. And we would everyone is listening would go like, "Well, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You don't break fellowship with someone like that. You just invest in them and disciple them." is a heart that wants to follow Jesus and just grow in discipleship and learn. And, and, and I think that's, that's kind of the posture we want to have on the field too. And even with our brothers and sisters, if someone's got a heart to follow Jesus and is trying to grow in discipleship, we need to lean into that. And, um, but on the same hand, um, we do need to draw lines and, and see sometimes there are false teachers that are trying to destroy the flock and protect them. And when someone's even hard-hearted about things of the, of, of the Lord and are defending their turf or their political area, I mean, that, that also is an area I think we can draw a line and say, you know, I don't think we need to have fellowship with someone who doesn't pursue unity of the spirit in, the, in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the goal. You know, we don't have time to flesh all this out. It's always a good idea to introduce a brand new idea, right? Well, the podcast is kind of winding down, <laughs> but <laughs> we're professionals here. But something that has to be said, we've been assuming the topic all kind of throughout this conversation of theological disagreement. I think another thing that would maybe surprise some people as they get into missions and as they become new missionaries is that really the issues that divide aren't always explicitly theological. Sometimes it's silly. Um, you know, the the issue of should nationals be directly funded by uh, by Western missions agencies or parachurches? Uh, maybe that's mm-hmm. less controversial now than it was, but uh, especially I, I think 20 or 30 years ago among traditional yeah. um, missions boards that would have been hugely controversial. And, and still there's, you know, but give me give me a precise Bible verse on that. Right. I mean, there's obviously yeah. layers of wisdom in, involved in that. But that's on, on the one hand, the theological issues are almost easier because there's verses <laughs> to go with those. And so I, I think the other thing, uh, as you're thinking through your disposition and, and how much unity are you capable of keeping and, and where do you draw the lines and, and when do you sometimes break fellowship? And you might be reunited in, in heaven, but that doesn't mean you maintain fellowship on earth either, too. There are times when a line has to be drawn. Um, 
as you're thinking about that, just realize that uh, not everything is going to be a, a theological thing. Sometimes you're not going to have a, a clear Bible verse that's going to give you an answer. You're not going to be able to approach it as a salvation issue, as a gospel issue. And I think one of the things that happens actually within the church, and especially among missionaries, is that controversy, controversies that aren't explicitly theological are treated as that. They become gospel issues. Um, it, it gets infused with all of the emotional energy of the gospel, of you know, winning souls, right? When it's when it's really well, so and so just made a mean comment to me on Sunday, or you know, so and so made a budgeting decision that I disagreed with, or so and so forgot about this, um, you know, compliance point with the government or on the visa application, and and it, it cost us in one way or another, or his wife looked at me the weird way, or something like that. You know, th- these sorts of things multiply. And it's realizing that the categories we're using, primary, secondary, tertiary, those are theological categories. There's just a number of things that aren't explicitly doctrinal. I got to say, one of the joys of being an overseas missionary was that a lot of the petty fighting that's going on in the States uh, amongst churches and leaders and fighting over the tiniest little things and fighting over little turf wars really weren't an issue at all. And it was it was kind of discouraging to come back to America and be like, oh, the pettiness. And um, it's a joy to be working in a place where, hey, there's gospel frontline work going on. And we really are fighting and trying to find, you know, trying to hold the line on important issues and letting those small things go. And I just encourage all of our listeners, let's just keep our focus on the gospel, keep keep pushing hard after Christ and uh, not get distracted by some of the the turf wars that that can so easily creep in mm. to our, our, our ministry here in the States. Can I conclude with something, Scott? Of course. So John Newton um, had a wonderful uh, letter that he wrote on controversy in response to a minister that was preparing uh, to write an article that was critical of another minister uh, for for his lack of orthodoxy. And this is how John Newton concludes this. So this is basically, you know, how do you get your soul ready to engage in controversy? Um, you, You have to look at your own motives. You have to look at the person's soul. Do I want to win this person or just want to win the argument? What are unbelievers watching Mm. us disagree? What are they going to think? Um, It's a great piece. Maybe I'll link to it in the show notes, but here's how he concludes it. He says, if we act in a wrong spirit, we shall bring little glory to God, do little good to our fellow creatures and procure neither honor nor comfort to ourselves. If you can be content with showing your wit and gaining the laugh on your side. So basically if you're just trying to score points, right. And you know, mm-hmm. it, if you're a grifter trying to get more follows, um, then if that's your task, you have an easy task, he says. But I hope you have a far nobler aim and that sensible of the solemn importance of gospel truths and the compassion due to the souls of men. You would rather be a means of removing prejudices in a single instance than obtain the empty applause of thousands. He says, go forth, therefore, in the name and strength of the Lord of hosts, speaking the truth in love, and may he give you a witness in many hearts that you are taught of God and favored with the unction of his Holy Spirit. There is Uh so much there that we don't have time to unpack. So good. It is good. Truth and love. And, uh, you know, actually, Scott, you and I don't agree on everything. I, I don't know if our listeners have ever picked what? up on that. This whole podcast Probably. is an exercise in in disagreeing at times agreeably. Um, but uh, we're going to have a separate special cast of Scott and Alex arguing what everything. Yeah, that's right. And uh, if you want more of that, go to missionspodcast.com. <laughs> and while you're there, subscribe 
rate, leave us a review, share it with a friend. It helps us get this in front of others. Until next week, thank you for listening.